0: This is the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Al Noe with special guest NHRA top fuel driver, Clay Milliken. Here we go. Welcome to the On All Cylinders podcast. I'm Al Noey and today we are joined by the great American success story, Clay Milliken. World-renowned top fuel racer, incredible car guy, and just like Summit Racing, powered by enthusiasts.
1: Man, what a heck of an introduction there. I don't know how to follow that up, but uh, you know, it's fun to be on here with you, and and Summit has been such a big part of my whole car life, essentially. I mean, you've always been the go-to guys, and I know that seems like a, a paid advertisement and it is not I'm old enough that I always look forward to we used to get the magazine you know the the summit catalog and boy for even older people that was like flipping through the Sears catalog you know it was like yeah. oh man look at this cool new widget look at this you know and check it out and then you know you would kind of go through there and, and pick out the things like I gotta have this so I gotta save for it and, and and then finally you know get to order it and now that I've got older none of that's changed I mean I'm constantly doing, you know, my YouTube video stuff nowadays that I've jumped into so heavily. And it is a great day when I open up my shipping box outside my driveway here. And uh, there's a package from Summit in there because that means I get to go work on something. So, Clay, how did you get started in
0: drag racing? You know, kind of like yourself, I, I went to the track the first time the day I got my learner's permit. And my mother would have never let me go out with my buddies who had their license if she knew I was going right to the racetrack. And I think you had a similar path, but you went a heck of a lot farther than I ever did because you're driving top fuel now. But what was your first pass like? Do you remember your first pass down the drag strip?
1: First time myself driving down the racetrack, I've got to kind of add a little context to that story. So the first car that I had, it wasn't my first vehicle. My first vehicle was a 63 Dodge truck with a 318 poly engine, three speed on the column. That was my first truck. And I got that at 12 years old, and I made a million laps in our backyard in a circle and never had grass back there. But uh, so I got this 69 Dodge Charger. And of course, to us, it was the fastest thing on the planet, 383 with a torque flight in it. And we went to Jackson Dragway, which is about 80 or 90 miles from where I live here. That was the closest drag strip at the time. No, nothing about organized drag racing. I mean, I'm just a kid and and daddy had drag race, but that was a long, long time ago before I was born. So we show up at Jackson, pull in at the gate and they ask us, you know, so what class are you running? We're like, well, what's the fastest class you got? They said, well, it's called super pro. Well, that's us. Well, there is a, uh, there's a thing they have at the drag strip and this was far enough back that it's called a time slip. But back then they actually wrote your time on there. Oh, well, yeah. after my first run down the racetrack, I, I kind of wandered my way back to the uh, little pay booth. And it's like, I think I entered the wrong class because my car that I thought was super fast, the time slip told us otherwise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great story, Clay. So my Camaro, the first time down the track, I had a friend who bought a uh, a Chevy wagon that had a 400 in it. And it ran pretty well. And my Camaro didn't. And I beat him, but barely. <laughs> and I still remember that. But thankfully, we all learned how to work on cars, and over time, that Camaro became faster, and I'm sure yours did too. What was one of the first things you did to it? So after that, did you leave the track and did you say, "Man, I gotta, I gotta fix this. This is a problem." Or
1: what? What did you do? Uh, I mean, probably the first real go fast thing that we did was change the rear gear in it. This old Charger had a 276 rear gear, so I mean, it it had no bottom end whatsoever, so you know, a little junkyard scrounging. We found a uh, a 355 and put in it, which was, pro- that's probably the first real major thing I did. And then followed that up very quickly with a, a set of headers and a car that was probably pretty valuable these days. I, from that point forward, I proceeded to ruin it, to be honest with you. But again, I was a kid and a teenager and all I wanted to do was go fast. I mean, go fast was all I ever thought about. Clay, we got a couple questions from folks here. Who would you rather run? Brittany or Steve? You know, I, I don't really have like a preference to either one. But what I can honestly tell you is I truly enjoy beating both of them. I mean, I truly, truly do. I really, really enjoy beating both of them. Britney's car is a home run car. You know, you don't know what you're going to get necessarily. So you almost have to go up there and have the mindset of just completely do your job and if they get you, they get you. But you know that that becomes more of a crew chief problem because you know they don't know if the Brittany car is going to hit a home run or or smoke the tires or whatever. Steve, on the other hand, you know you better just set your car up to run as quick as you can, but go down the racetrack because you can almost guarantee that Torrance car is going to go down the racetrack every single time. That's what's made them so dangerous the last few years. Is that car is incredibly consistent. Good
0: consistent performance and in your class that's the razor's edge right
1: it takes so little to change what these cars do i mean it is hard to explain that to people that that watch and they think you know if you think bracket car you think just go up there and do the same thing well we're so close to the edge all the time that cloud cover can mess up your tune up that's how close to the edge you are and that's why i drive them and not tune them i mean i can put a top fuel car together front to rear and it will start and run, but I do not have what it takes up here to tune one of those things. It's it's incredibly complicated and everything affects everything else. It's unbelievable. I don't know how the crew chiefs are able to keep up with it because it's everything. Like I say, cloud covers, you know, how hot's the track, the the water grains, I mean the humidity. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on.
0: I'm gonna preface this with outside of top fuel. What's your favorite class to watch?
1: Wow. That's a tough one because I am a drag race nut. I absolutely, I still go and watch bracket races every chance I get. Uh, My sister Lee still bracket races. I go to the bracket race all the time. But if I'm at a race and, and I have time to go watch, I do enjoy watching pro mod and pro stock. I really, really do. Now, one of the classes that's just pure OD like Holy moly, crazy is Top Fuel Harleys. Like, that is oh. just insane. Would you ever ride one, Clay? No, sir. Give me <laughs> a Top Fuel car upside down, backwards on fire at 300 miles an hour. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, in, you know, at Richmond a couple of weeks ago, Larry McBride, Spider-Man, 268 miles an hour on a, on a bike. That's mm-hmm. nuts! Uh, and he pedaled it on the run, like yeah. he actually pedaled the thing, and still went 268 fastest spike ever. Uh, those are insane to watch. But I do keep up with you know pro mod. I keep up with all the classes. That's that's the truth. When I'm going home, it's funny when when I get home. A lot of times. People ask who won this, who won that, and I don't know. You know, if it doesn't, I call if it doesn't happen in our box, so the area where our car's at. Most of the time, I don't know because we're so busy. But I'll get on Drag Race Central and go through every class. I typically start at Super Comp. Just to be totally honest, I I still keep up. I did a lot of Super Comp racing, but I go through every single class and see if there's somebody I know or recognize. I love drag racing. I really really do every single class. Yeah, it is it is
0: an awesome sport and the variety through every class is just amazing. Comp eliminators one I've always oh. just found amazing because Me too. truly a, an engine builders and unique class. If you have not been out to an NHRA drag race, you got to go. You've got to go hit a national event. You have got to see the fuel cars pro stock, all the other classes, super stock, comp eliminator. I mean, if you go and don't have a good time, Clay will give you your money back. So just go show up and it is an incredible event. Speaking of national events, I got to ask you about a throwback moment. This is going to be going back a ways. It's actually 20 years. A good friend of mine, Mark Hamill, who's a drag racer out of Lebanon Valley, New York. Great history guy. He's always got interesting stuff. We talk drag racing. He said, hey, you got to ask Clay about the most epic staging duel in fuel ever. It was with Doug Herbert, 2002 Maple Grove. How'd that go and how'd the conversation go with Doug after? And <laughs> I, I looked up a little facts on this and I went, Clay's
1: tough, man. Doug's a big guy and you didn't give him an inch. It's it's a crazy story. And, you know, we were on a unbelievable run in the IHR. Well, you know, we were winning... A lot. I, I feel like I'm bragging, but it's just true. We were winning a whole lot. Well, Doug Herbert was previously kind of the the man in IHRA, so to speak, and a lot of people don't realize this, but I never raced Doug during my IHRA time. He had a car in the IHRA, and he had already started running NHRA full time at that point. But he he had a Snap On sponsored car in the IHRA that we beat a lot. We beat a lot of cars over there. And anyway, there was really Nothing at, at Maple Grove that led up to what happened on the starting line. But I'm one of these racers. And again, I bracket race for, for years and years and years. And there's not much you won't see on the starting line at a bracket race. It just doesn't happen to be on live television when it happens. But I turned my top bulb on. He turned the top bulb on. And and it's about that point when I make the decision if I'm going to stage first or last. And I had nothing preconceived in my head that that I was going to do. but. At that moment, I decided I'm going to stage last. And apparently, Doug made that same decision. And we both sat there for over two minutes, which is an eternity in a top fuel car. You're burning fuel at a a crazy rate. The way I was taught to drive a top fuel car, I don't use a clutch pedal stop. So in other words, I have to hold my leg in a certain spot to keep the car in neutral, Mm -hmm. which is what you do while you are have the top ball bone. I had made the decision to pull the car all the way on the high side. In other words, I had turned the fuel pump all the way on because I didn't think it was going to take two minutes. <laughs> well, I'm sitting there and sitting there. And finally it was to the point that I actually trimmed the fuel back down, back to the fuel flow that we idle at. The crowd became so loud at Maple Grove that I could hear them over the cars running. I am a bit hard headed, I guess, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going. I knew I just like I am not staging first. And finally, Rick Stewart, the official starter of the NHRA, come out in front of the cars. And I can still see that in my mind wearing his straw hat. He is a unhappy man. Let me just tell you, he was not happy. (laughs) We were the first pair out. It's a threat of rain. It's a live television. So we shut the cars off. And then the, the moment I shut the car off, I'm like, this is not good. Like I just got disqualified. I didn't know what was going to happen. No clue. The team pushes the car back and I'm in the Werner Enterprises car. Doug's in, you know, the snap-on car. And I hopped out, took my helmet off, and I immediately was thinking, oh boy, you know, I need to call Greg Werner at Werner Enterprises and tell him that I was hard headed and and not very smart. And I just got kicked out of the race. You know, that's what I was thinking. Well, Doug comes over. He wasn't happy, but he comes over and tells me things about my mama that I had never heard. (laughs) (laughs) I I think how we all grew up, Clay, is that's not going away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, my team owner, Peter Lehman, he's not a big guy. I'm not a big guy. Doug Herbert is a giant. Well, so Doug's telling me these things about mama that I didn't know or never heard before. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Peter kind of gave him a little shove and said, get back to your car and And then we kind of looked like a little bit of WWE. You know, we had a little (laughs) wrestling match going there. It's a pretty good video. It really, really is. And for many years, Doug Herbert and I never exchanged Christmas cards. I can promise you that. Truth is, now we're great friends. We both, you know, went through the loss of a child and then we worked together with the breaks program. But. It's fun to talk about it now but it was not fun at the moment. I promise well the 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 good end result Clay
0: is it got behind you and you became friends with somebody and I'm sure it'll be a lifelong friend after all that, you know. And I'm sure at some point there's a level of respect that both of you had for not going in for each other. And oh, and it's
1: part of drag racing history. And both of us, from being hard-headed, really missed out on a great opportunity of match racing all over the country because if we wouldn't have been so hard-headed, every track in the country would have loved to have had us, you know. yeah. But one thing that happened out of that, Doug got a cool nickname and all I got was shoved. You know, he I got a shove out of it. But he became Dougzilla after that, you know. So Oh, is that where that came from? That's where that came from. Yeah. Oh man. He had a great T shirt. I got I know I'm really getting off track here, but I hated it. I actually ended up getting someone to buy one for me, but it was him as the snap on Godzilla looking thing holding a Werner car in his hand. It was kind of oh. a cool t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's brutal.
0: Oh, that's pretty awesome though. Clay, what do you think about staging duels today? You know, there's a lot of debate. We've had them occasionally. And uh, I know sometimes NHRA may not be fans of it. But like you said, it sure makes
1: the race day interesting, doesn't it? I think it's part of the game. I mean, if you stay within the rules of how it works and and if you understand the rules, I 100% study what everybody does. And, And, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I watch how people stage, you know, I try to see if they have some tendencies and if I can exploit that, I will, you know, do I go in there and say, I'm doing this or I'm doing that? Not really. But if the occasion happens that I have made up my mind that I'm going to stage last, you can go on YouTube and look up the Dougzilla video. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Clay, let's talk
0: about your first NHRA win. That is an incredible story and such an amazing day. Can you walk us through that day and what transpired? Tell, tell us what happened.
1: Well, I mean, it was certainly, for me, it's the biggest win of my life, and it'll be that way for now. Nothing will ever top that. But so in 2015, I lost my son, Dalton, Don and I did, to a motorcycle accident. And so Bristol, my home state race, you know, that, that's I'm, I'm a Tennessee boy, have been my whole life has always been on Father's Day. Now it wasn't during COVID, but whatever. So it's a Father's Day traditional race, and they do a wonderful job honoring fathers. Well, for me, from 2015 on, Father's Day's not been a great day. Like I, I just assume not even think about it. Now I have another son that I love dearly and and he's about the only person I want to get a text from or a phone call from that mentions Father's Day. But it never fails that, you know, you get a text from this happy Father's Day, you know, and people, they all mean well. But for me, that is just not, I, I didn't want to see those. This particular race, Father's Day, they do the driver intro and they typically put dads in the back of a truck and they drive them down the racetrack in front of everybody. And I always participate in everything going on, but I ducked out. Like, I, I didn't want to think about it. I just want to have a normal Sunday at the racetrack, drive the race car, and not think about any of that. Well, I was pretty successful in that for the first couple rounds. We had won first round and second round, and it started raining, so we had a delay. Finally, they call us up for the semifinal run. I'm racing Steve Torrance that we just talked about. Crowd everywhere. You know, you've been to a race. You know how it is. And we're trying to tow the race car up to the starting line. People everywhere. So somebody knocks on the window of the tow vehicle, roll the window down, and a little motocross chest protector was passed in to me. And I start to sign it. And he's like, no, 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 this this man that handed his note, I don't want you to sign it. That was given to my son. And if you look at it, it's got your son's signature. And he said that that was the first autograph he had ever given. He had signed it for my son. So I look at this one, wow. motocross chest protector. And sure enough, there's Dalton Milliken, hashtag 25. Of course, immediately, you know, I've got a frog in my throat and trying to fight back the tears. And my initial thoughts were, why would somebody give me this when I'm literally fixing to go up and hop in a 300 plus mile an hour race car? You know, like, I, I, I'm i trying to block all this Father's Day out of my mind, you know, and I just want to race the car. And so I was polite, you know, and I'm like, so you're giving me this? Yes, I'm giving you this. Well, by the time we get up there, Steve Torrance is already in his car. He's got his helmet on, seatbelts on. I go over and, like, you know, give him a fist bump, see at the other end, whatever I said. And it was the weirdest feeling that I hadn't really had before. But it was like, you know what? This is all good. Like, I just had a sudden easy feeling, so to speak, that it's, just going, everything's fine. Just get in the car, go have fun. That's, you know, that's what you're here for. Boom. Wind light comes on like, all right, we're in the final, you know, and go up and race Leah in the final round. I was horrible on the starting line. She killed me on the Christmas tree. I see her for a little ways out there. Boom. She disappears. My wind light come on and, uh, you know, that was uh, the craziest feeling. You know, when that wind light come on in my lane, because you got to think about I had won all those races in IHRA, all those championships, and I'm horrible with, with stats and those sort of things. But it had been 19 years of NHRA racing, not all full time because I was doing the IHRA, 19 years and like 12 runner up finishes. I mean, just a crazy, unbelievable thing in 254 races. Without a win, and that was actually the longest streak anybody had ever had without a win. So that win light comes on, and I, I got the car stopped. I couldn't even get it off the racetrack. Like I—I I was just like, "Wow, we finally did it!" You know, and—and and it happened on this day in Tennessee. Jack Beckman had just lost the final to Ron Caps, and Beckman literally runs out on the racetrack. He's like get your gloves off, get your helmet off. You have no idea how big this is. And of course, I'm just hooping and hollering. And then he had to help me get the car off the racetrack. Like all of a sudden I couldn't drive anymore, you know, and uh, (laughs) get the thing off the racetrack. And I was fine and dandy. And then, then it hit me, you know, that was supposed to happen that way on that day. And that was, you know, that was my little boy. Telling yeah. me that uh, today's telling, a good day, you know. Telling you to, telling you to go get it, right, Clay? Yeah, absolutely. Nothing will ever top that. You know, I've won yeah. races since then, and they're they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're incredibly rewarding, but nothing will beat that. That was Dalton telling me and Donna that, hey, everything is fine. That makes that the greatest day at the racetrack ever for me, and, and it always will be. Yeah, what, what a story, Clay. That's absolutely amazing. Hey, let's talk about
0: Top Fuel today. Do you think it's possible to control costs and top fuel? There's always <laughs> been a lot of talk about that. Hey, let's put them in a thousand foot, you know, let's limit this, that. I mean, there's over the years so much discussion over that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because you've been in the game so long and, and been through both sanctioning bodies. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, as far as the, you know, limiting the cars, I think that's, you know, limiting the cost. I think that's a great concept that's basically impossible. I just don't know how you would ever do it, you know, and I know a lot of people and I see it in comments whenever this comes up. I'll oh, limit it to, uh, you know, a smaller supercharger, limit the fuel pump, limit, you know, to one mag. Well, what that does, and this is purely my opinion, but it is my opinion. All that happens when you make a limitation like that, let's just say it's a supercharger, for example, all that happens at that point is the mega teams instantly have an advantage because they're able to go into an RD and d program specifically cluing in on whatever that rule change is. And then smaller teams like mine, we don't have the equipment or the budget to go and do the testing. And, and I'm not just talking about testing on the racetrack, but testing you know, with a supercharger dyno or, or whatever the case may be hiring some, some specific engineers to work on a smaller supercharger or one mag or whatever the case may be. I mean, I always kind of look at it as like, you know, whether you say baseball where, you know, the Yankees have the biggest budget and they always have the best players. Unfortunately, or fortunately, according to what side of the fence you're on, that is racing. You know, you have Mm -hmm. the big budget teams and you have the smaller budget teams, but you know what? The smaller teams can beat the Yankees and so can the smaller top field teams. I mean, we just talked about winning Bristol, you know, so containing them cost, you know, I don't know how you would ever do that unless, and I don't even know how you would do this. If if suddenly, you know, NHRA got this gigantic TV contract and everybody got X amount of dollars and this is what you're supposed to operate with, well... It would still be team owners, you know, adding money to that, just like the Yankees do. You know, I mean, I just don't know that there's an answer to it. You know, racing, especially at the top of the food chain with the top fuel and funny cars and pro stock, all that. Those who come up with the best mousetrap usually have the best ET. You know, that's just kind of how it works. Clay, let's talk about the truck that you're building.
0: That's a a really special part of you. And, And we are so happy and proud to be involved in that. Um, It's actually ironic. It's how you and I met a few years ago through our friend Jeff Lutz. It was really neat. Jeff called me and said, hey, um, I got a project and I think you guys might want to get involved in this. Let's tell our fans about it a bit and exactly what you're doing with it.
1: Well, I mean, we were just talking about Dalton. So Dalton had a hand-me-down truck. It was mine. It was a 2004 Dodge 1500 two-wheel drive, four-door truck. And I gave it to him when he was 16 years old. And, and like any typical 16 year old, there just about wasn't a spot on it that didn't have a dent in it, you know, from backing into this or running over that or whatever the case was, you know, so that all of Dalton's friends, they, you know, they called this truck Dently. So the name of this truck is is Dentley, like Bentley, except it's Dentley. <laughs> well, as Dalton got a little older, you know, and, and he ended up getting a job driving a Monster Jam truck. You know, he drove the Blue Thunder truck. So he was starting to make a little money and he had got the body work all fixed up, you know. And so flat black on 22-inch wheels, blacked out windows, blacked out flat black everything, you know. So that was Dalton's truck. And so obviously after we lost Dalton, you know, I'm like, I'm not getting rid of this truck, you know, and so I kept it. I've got a shop out behind the house. And so I decided I got to do something to make this thing a little more fun to drive, you know. It had 240,000 miles on it. There's a million stories of what all has happened to that truck, one of them being it ended up in a pond. I do not know all the details to that, but Jeff Lutz will tell you that when uh, they took the truck apart, meaning like, the carpet out of it and part of the dash that it definitely was in a pond. They find some fish and frogs or something. (laughs) I definitely (laughs) found, uh, you know, uh, a mud line, so to speak. So the truck had been through a lot, you know, and uh, (laughs) so I decided like I wanted to put a faster engine in it again. It was just a five, seven with 240,000 miles on it. it, had nothing done to it other than dual exhaust and, a friend of mine that, that he's basically like one of my kids. He's Buggy Johnson. Works at Comp Cams. Has been there for forever. He worked on the top fuel car for a lot of years as well. He's like, I know where there's a six point one Hemi that that you could put in this thing, and it had, it was a brand new crate engine. It had been bored and stroked, never even been started. So it's now a four twenty six Hemi. So I ended up buying this engine from a friend of Buggy's. And I ran into Jeff Lutz, who he and I knew each other. We weren't like best of buddies to the point where we had each other's cell number, but we knew each other. I was on the way to an event somewhere, and I stopped at the racetrack because I knew Jeff was there doing some testing. And I was telling him that, you know, I'm going to put this engine in. I I think I'm going to put a Pro Charger on it. And he's like, you need to put turbos on it. I'm like, I've never done turbos, and I can buy a Pro Charger kit that I can bolt on. He's like, you need turbos. I'm like, well, if I was you, yes, but I'm doing this at home, not at the race shop. Long story short, like any car guy, this truck—and I'm leaving a lot of this story out because I know we've got a limited amount of time—but this truck ended up at Jeff's shop. Not only is it getting turbos, two of them from Precision, you know, it now has a funny car cage in it. It now has 16 by 16 weld delta ones on the rear. It's—it's it's got wheelie bars on it. It's got a turbo 400 with a trans brake. It's got a gear vendor. This thing is absolutely out of control. It's not going to be a super fast vehicle. Again, we're talking four door Dodge truck that we're leaving the power windows, the air conditioning, you know, drag and drive. Drag week is kind of, you know, something I want to do with this thing. And obviously, Jeff is a legend and in the drag week world and just a legend, period. And, And Jeff and Jeffrey and Christine. That is one of my favorite families. Jeff and Jeffrey have become some of my best friends. Now, when the truck got there, Donna, my wife, told me, she's like, you know, this is going to be a five-year project. I'm like, oh, no way. Well... Jeff films a lot of TV shows. Jeff does a lot of racing. I do a lot of racing. You know, I do a lot of stuff. And I think we're four years in right now. (laughs) But Jeff, Jeffrey have been on a roll. Those two guys It is some of the most fun. If you can ever go and just kind of hang out while they're working. Now, you'll see a little bit of Paul Jr. and Paul Sr. If you think of American choppers back in the day, you will see that a little bit. But they are the most amazing father son team I've ever seen work because they do things super efficient. You can tell they've worked together a lot. I went up there when they were doing the funny car cage, you know, they needed me there to kind of fit everything. Jeff had a piece of copper pipe and he would just kind of form it and make a shape. He would go over and bend it super fast, not even talk, hand it to Jeffrey. Jeffrey stick it up there, tack it. It's just crazy. They're amazingly talented. And I've said this on one of my YouTube videos. Jeffrey, I think, has become more talented than even Jeff is. Uh, He's an unbelievable young man, super polite, super talented. Uh, Let's race cars is going to go on for a long, long time because that kid is amazing. But the truck's getting close. It's close.
0: I can't wait to see the truck. I and mean, you got to take us for rides in it when you get it all done. You know, we got to check four it out. Seats.
1: It's got four seats. It's got four full-on, you know, harnesses in it. Uh, Jeffrey's putting some grab bars in the back so that if you're in the back seat, you got something to hold on to. I don't expect awesome. it to be fast, but it's still going to be a twin turbo 426 it's, Hemi.
0: I, I think it's going to be pretty quick.
1: I mean, you know, a <laughs> couple, two turbos is going to have all the boost. And
0: uh, yeah. that, that will be a ton of fun. Hey, Clay, real quickly, and we're, we're closing in on time, and I just want to cover one thing. Typical race weekend. Can you walk us through what a typical race weekend looks like? Because I've seen you at the races. I've watched your team. I've watched other teams. And I'm amazed how everything comes together and how it, it's like an
1: orchestra with everybody working together, to get everything done. It's amazing. So you, you want a weekend when I drive to the race or a weekend when I fly to the race? Because they are different. I would say let's do the full enchilada, the drive to the race. Well, let's say we're headed to Bristol, and and I want to pick Bristol because we follow that up something that's going to be really, really fun with you guys, which is the Norwalk event. So we would probably leave on Tuesday, even though I don't really need to be there till Thursday. Donna and myself and my two dogs, which my dogs have become kind of famous in their own right because they raise a lot of money for animal rescue, but we'll load up. We, we've got a, a motorhome the stacker trailer that i've been putting the new vinyl on we take a mini cooper a golf cart and a scooter and i take some gym equipment yes i do work out but you wouldn't tell it by looking at the 140 pounds that i am but uh you know we will go we we try to to make it somewhat of our vacation you know because it's it's a 500 mile drive up to bristol which is crazy to think that it's that far but we'll go we'll get there wednesday we will start helping the race team because we set up two trailers one for the race car you know I, i'll typically try to help when i can put the awning out over that the flooring out whatever needs to be done with the race car that that i may be responsible for which a lot of times is just uh cleaning this or or moving that or whatever the case may be then a lot of mine Adonna's time will be setting up the hospitality side. If you've been to an NHRA race, you know, most of the teams have a hospitality area where customers come, people come and, and they get to sit right by the race car while that's being set up. Well, that's a lot of tables, a lot of chairs, big awning, all that has to get done. And I'm involved with that. And, and I mean, Some of my team will watch this and they'll laugh because they'll be like, oh, you only kind of help because I I talk so much. But if if a fan comes up, typically I do stop because I'm not that person that can walk away or say, I have to do this. You know, I love talking. Really, really do. So that's typically a Wednesday thing. Thursday will start to turn a little more towards, you know, the car itself. I mix the fuel. That is one of the things that it's just like a never-ending job, you know, mixing fuel. I get all the stuff out for mixing fuel. I get everything set up. And, you know, if we've got something going on, you know, with with sponsors, you know, you may you may go to a dinner with a sponsor. You may go play golf with a sponsor, whatever that typically happens on Thursday. Once the race weekend starts, now we're moving and grooving. You know, it's it's get there. And this is something fans ought to know because I know a lot of times they, it's like they get there so early. If you're coming to watch The Sportsman, which I highly recommend, that is awesome. Get there at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever. But the professional teams typically do not show up until four hours before time to run the car. And, you know, that's that four hours is pretty much like regimented down to, you know, getting the car out, getting the short block ready, getting the head zone, getting the supercharger on. And I don't bolt anything on the car anymore, but I'm an extra set of hands. A lot of times I'm probably in the way because again, there ain't nothing on that car I can't put together. I just can't tune it. But if we're behind somewhere, you know, I I hop in and help whatever's needed to be done. When it's almost time to go, you know, we start the car up typically about an hour and a half before actual qualifying time. If we're talking on qualifying day. Get everything ready to go. Spend a little time with Jim O in the lounge. We'll go over, you know, what we're planning on doing. Are we going to attack? Are we going to try to just get ourselves solidly in the field? You know, there's a lot of discussion on that. Again, I can't tune it, but I've done it long enough that I kind of got an idea of what may be our best attack at that moment. Let's hop forward to race day. Race day gets really, really hectic because typically that is when we have our largest hospitality crowd because all of your, you know, your sponsor people, all the customers want to be there on race day. Me, I'll spend a lot, as much time as I possibly can going and visiting with those people. I spend as much time as I can at the back with fans that are there. That's every day. Once the racing starts, then that is such a nerve wracking, awesome at the same time kind of thing. You know, people will wonder, you know, do you get scared? I don't say I get scared, but I still get butterflies. I get butterflies before the first qualifying run, and I definitely get butterflies for first round. But once you get my first round, then it's like if everything goes smooth, you know, it says pack those shoots, mix the fuel, help the team with whatever's going on to get the car done. And Hopefully, you turn on four wind lights and you're holding, holding up a trophy at the end of the day. Well, Clay, we're getting tight on
0: time. I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. I know you're busy, and uh, we all at Summit uh, really appreciate the partnership.
1: I am so proud to be part of the family. I mean, I've been with you guys for a long time. It's just, you know, in a way bigger way now, and, and I'm excited for everything that we're doing together, and we'll see you guys at the races. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast.
0: Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.